Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come today and to worship and God, to praise you. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who gathered here today. It's, it's not a pretty day. I imagine it's a little tougher to get the family out than normal. But God, thank you for the ones who were able to come. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who weren't able to be here today. We continue to lift up Miss Betty and Miss Pat, Mr. Steve, as they are experiencing health issues. And pray for Pastor Dan. Be with him, Lord. God, we just ask that you would just touch our church family today. Lord, more than physical things and worldly things, God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move and work amongst us. God, I pray that the people in this room right now, the people watching, would just simply ask you, say, Jesus, please send your Holy Spirit in my life right now. Work in me. Do something new in me. Shape me and mold me into the man or the woman that you have called me to be. And God, we all need to be worked on. We all need to grow. And let's pray we would be humble enough to ask your spirit to just come in and to give you free reign to work and move in our life. God, we're so grateful to be called children of the Most High God. What a privilege it is to be able to say that we're saved and we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning. Remind us that, that you are so much more than what the world has to offer. What you have waiting for us is so much more than anything we could acquire. God, help us to cling to that. Help us to lean into you and allow you to guide us on that journey till the day we finally reach you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody again this morning. And we are continuing on in our sermon series, uh, talking about dinner and a Savior. And today's passage, we're focused on Jesus eating with the righteous. Now, I love this. Um, this past week, I got a text from someone in the church, and they were asking, they said, okay, last week you had a point, and the point uh, had the term in it, righteous sinners. And uh, they were asking about, like, okay, that doesn't make sense, like, that can't be. And uh, basically, I just responded, you know, it was supposed to be an oxymoron, okay? It was just supposed to be one of those things that these religious leaders thought that they were righteous. They thought that they had all this going on and uh, that they were exactly where they needed to be. And yet, they were still sinners. So, oxymoron. And so, today, as we talk about Jesus eating with the righteous, I just want to communicate this, this concept that the people in this story, these religious leaders really did think that they were righteous. They thought that they were exactly where they were supposed to be and that Jesus was the one that was wrong. And that's something that you see all throughout the Gospels is that they were constantly trying to affirm their beliefs, their teachings, their traditions, everything that they had been doing in their life. 
and make Jesus out to be the one who was not the legitimate son of God. He was not the Messiah. He was not the one who had the power to forgive sins. And that was that constant struggle going on. So as we talk about this today, we talk about Jesus eating with the righteous. I want you to understand it's not necessarily that they were righteous. It was the fact that they considered themselves being righteous. You know what makes us righteous this morning? Jesus. Faith. When you look in the Old Testament before Jesus came, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. Not just one time whenever he first left, but multiple times, even as God called him to offer his son later on. There was multiple times where Abraham just simply believed God and did what God told him to do. And because of that, he was counted as righteousness. Faith is what makes us righteous. And religious leaders were putting their faith or their trust in the law of all the things that they should or should not be doing. And you got to be careful of that because we as people, we get really accustomed to that. It's easier to obey a bunch of rules and check some stuff off of our list every week than it is to just go and do and be who God has called us to be at any given moment in time because it takes constant effort to make sure that we're pursuing God in that moment, that we're listening to the guiding of His Spirit, that we're doing what He's calling us to do at any given moment in time. And today, what God is calling you today may be very different from what God's calling you tomorrow. That's a lot more effort, right? It's a lot harder. So as we look at this today, Jesus is invited to eat dinner with this religious leader named Simon. Okay, it's in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And uh, how many of you have ever had to go to an event or a meal that was more formal than you are usually accustomed to? Is that uncomfortable? All right. So in this story today, I want you to understand the dynamics of what's happening is pretty different than last week. You know, he's going to eat at a sinner's home. He's eating at Matthew's home. He was obviously a sinner. And you guys know this. There's a little bit of comfort uh, in, in your life whenever you're eating with just normal, everyday people, right? Um, and, and you have meals with people. And some, sometimes those meals are very natural and you have a great time. And you're like, that was really fun. I hope we can do this again. And you're excited to go back. And sometimes you eat with people and you feel very uncomfortable and it was super awkward. And you're just like, I hope that this is a long time before we have to do this again. And then you have these formal dinners where you go and you, you dress in things you're not used to dressing in. Now, women love that, right? Valentine's Day is coming up, guys. Women love to play dress up. They love to go out. They love to do new things. Remember that. You got a couple days to get your stuff together, guys. Good advice. Keeping you out of the doghouse. All right? So two days. But women love to play dress up. They like to put on the fancy clothes. They like to go out and do new things. When we do premarital counseling with people, we just have them fill out this little like 30 questionnaire thing. 30 questions. They just fill them out. It's very open-ended answers. And most of the time, the girls always say, well, we just want to keep dating. We want to try new things. Um, you know, just keep, you know, have fun and keep, keep the marriage fun and fresh and things like that. And most of the time, the guys are just like, oh, it's like my routine. I like doing my thing. Same old, same old. You know, the pair of underwear they've had for 30 years that has holes in it wears better today than it ever has before, right? So girls like to dress up, but most guys hate it. And you go to these events, and you eat these dinners, and you have silverware that you don't even know what you're supposed to be using. And it's super awkward. 
and you are looking around at what other people are doing because you're not exactly sure what you should be doing. So you're trying to make sure that you're not making a buffoon of yourself, right? It's kind of the situation we're in today. The religious leaders were a lot different. They were a lot more formal. They, I mean, these were the big wigs of the day. I mean, these are the important people. The situation and the scenario is quite different than last week. So I just want you to understand that as we go into this. So let's read together verses 36 through 50. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. I want to pause right there. So I just wanted to get a little mental image of what's going on. So as I was, I was reading this um, this week, and I was just kind of doing some, some brushing up on things, apparently, from, from what I was reading, whenever they came in to eat, it's not like today. All right? We got tables and chairs, and everybody's like trying to be all comfortable and, and whatever, and you sit, and you have the painting of the Last Supper where all the disciples are just sitting in chairs, and it looks like a very modern look. That's not the way that it happened, in case you're wondering. So apparently they would come in, and the table was about like the height of a coffee table, maybe a little higher or something like that. And they would sit on cushions, and they would sit on the rumps on the floor, and their feet, Timmy's taking pictures of me, by the way, I know he is right now, (laughs) super awkward, Um, but their feet would be behind them, and they would rest on their left hand, and they would eat at the table. And this was kind of like the posture that they think was most common during this time is that they would eat. And this just kind of gives you an idea of what's about to happen and the reason why it happened probably more naturally than it should. So they're reclined at the table and they're eating. Now, let's see if I can get up. I'm not that old yet. Verse 37. Then a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there and she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet All right, so that gives you the mental image of what's going on. His feet were a little more accessible than what they would be. It's not like she crawled underneath the table, and that would have been really weird. So she's behind him, kneeled down at his feet. And she's weeping, and her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Very awkward, very intimate, very different. I mean, you think about what's happening in this moment. I mean, this is just, there's something about this moment that is, it's cringing. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're reading this and like you're a part of this and you're watching what's going on, it's, it's definitely cringeworthy. And at the same time, it's beautiful and it's pure and, and it's, I mean, she's worshiping and, and there, there's emotion and she's not only pouring out this like really expensive gift, but she's, she's pouring out herself in this moment. It's really beautiful imagery in this. And at the same time, it's all awkward and it's all weird. And in verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. All right? That's going on internally. Verse 40, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. 
Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, so Jesus doesn't deny who she is or what she's guilty of, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith, right, faith, has saved you. Now go in peace. So we got six really short points this morning. Point number one, Jesus ate with the righteous. Now this is important because you need to understand today that when Jesus is going around and he's doing ministry, Jesus is ministering to everyone and his door is open to everyone. He eats with sinners, but he also eats with religious leaders. Now we say righteous because they considered themselves righteous, but by no means is this man righteous. You with me this morning? His faith has not saved him. He is continually putting his trust and hope in the law, which cannot save. It has no ability to save. It has no ability to forgive of sins. But Jesus Christ, God's son, which has the ability to forgive of sins, and our faith in him is what makes us righteous, Simon has not got there. He's not here in this moment. And so he believes that he's righteous, But at the same time, he's a sinner just like everybody else. But it's important to understand that Jesus is open to everyone. Jesus said last week, I did not come to save those who think they are righteous, but save those who are sick and know they're sick and need a Savior. I come for those people. And so in this moment, it's very important to understand that it's not like Jesus is closed off to these religious leaders and he's not giving them the opportunity. He's coming to their home. He's engaged these intimate relationships, these intimate moments with them to have dinner with them and to entertain them because there's an agenda here. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the agenda from Simon as he invites Jesus to his home. But the religious leaders thought they were righteous, but they were greatly misled. So last week, we talked a lot about eating with people. Talked a lot about building that relationship with people. I just want to ask you, at the end of point number one, how many people have you been eating with? How many people have you shared that moment with this past week? How many people are you planning on sharing that moment with this coming week? Point number two, true repentance can be awkward. Now, this woman, who is a sinner absolutely came in at the worst possible time that you could come in. She's known to be a sinner, um, and and so if you're kind of wondering what that means, she was probably a prostitute. Some people argue like, well, that's not for 100% sure. It's like women didn't have a whole lot of options during this time. They had no rights. They couldn't own anything. They had no way to support themselves. 
And so one of the only things that women could do if they did not have a husband or someone to take care of them, they would start prostitution. And prostitution was acceptable but sinful. That's kind of weird, isn't it? You think about the culture they're living in, underneath the law of Moses where sin is very important and people get stoned for things, but prostitution is acceptable, but it's sinful, right? The religious leaders didn't call for her to be stoned, but at the same time, they didn't want anything to do with her. And so there's a little bit of hypocrisy in that. They're not taking care of this woman, but they're condemning her for her sins and she's kind of limited and she could have just been like, no, it's what I want to do. But that's the situation she's in. She's a sinner. And she comes in in a place where she is unwanted in this religious leader's home. And you got to think about during the Gospels, when Jesus is walking this earth, that the people, think about the people who were professing faith in Christ and where they were doing that. Because what happened is, is that most of the Jewish people were really terrified to, to, to publicly profess faith. They were still trying to figure out whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And so most of the time as Jesus is walking around, he's ministering to the people of Israel. He's performing these miracles. He's doing all this cool stuff. And then he kind of like teaches them and he talks to them about the Bible and the, the meaning behind it and God's heart in the scriptures and things like that. And then he kind of challenges them to consider him being the Messiah. And they say, well, if you're the Messiah, show us a sign, even though he's just showed them a sign. And they do this after he just said fed 5,000 people. And they say, show us a sign. And they continually demand it. And so they never truly put their faith in Christ or, or profess faith in him. And it's definitely not happening at the synagogues. And it's not happening in religious places. Most of the time it's happening in public settings. And what you find in, in the Gospels is that most of the people who are openly professing faith to Christ are the Gentiles. As Jesus is ministering among the Gentiles, many of them are very quick to begin to shout, Jesus, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. And you kind of hear that cry. They, they refer to Jesus as the Son of David, the Messiah, and they will give him that title very quickly, but the Jews aren't doing that. And so in this moment, this, this whole aspect of this woman coming in and what she's doing is so cringy because she's in a place where she's not welcome. She's in a home where she's not welcome. She's doing something that no one else was doing. This was not common. She's a sinner. She's not supposed to be touching other people. She's making them unclean. And this whole, this whole moment, no one understands what's going on but this woman understands what she's called by God to do. Jesus understands what she's been called to do, and he understands what she's doing, but no one else knows. And this woman's gift of perfume and this alabaster jar is estimated to be worth over a year's wages. Now, now, now think about that. So you're sitting here this morning, and I just want to think, how cringeworthy is it if, I, if somebody was to stand up here and say to you today that you should give a year's worth of wages to the church or to Christ? Like, huh? Like, I would start cringing. I mean, it, like, just the thought of it just doesn't make sense. Like, the perfume, expensive. The jar that it comes in, expensive. Worth over a year's worth of her work 
to bring this and offer this to Jesus and this, this, this offering, this act of worship would put to shame any kind of sacrifice or offering that had been given in the temple in a long, long time. You think about a, you know, a dove or a ram or a bull that someone, if they had a lot of money, would pay for to be sacrificed. And then in that moment... Like they, they, they have this animal and they present it to the temple and then the people in the temple take it and then they go offer the sacrifice on your behalf. But this woman <coughs> brings in this gift that she paid for a year of her life. And then she's the one who's down on her hands and knees. She's the one doing the nitty-gritty, the dirty, the, the things that many of us would thought would be super disgusting. Super awkward, but yet very intimate. I mean, think about this woman crying. What does everybody do when they cry? Anybody like crying in front of other people? No? Oh, come on now. Some of you like attention. No, we don't like to cry in front of other people. You watch somebody whenever they cry, one of the first instinctful things that they will do, if they start crying, they'll cover their face. Because they're crying, they know they're crying, everyone else knows they're crying, but they don't want people to see them cry. It's very personal. And yet this woman is here worshiping. She's given a year of her life leading up to this, a year of preparation for this moment. Then she's pouring herself out emotionally. And then she's taking her hair along with her tears, and she's wiping the dirt and the dust from the feet of Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but my wife has some really beautiful and amazing hair. Love her hair. All y'all keep on trying to tell her to cut it. I'm going to stab you, okay? Leave her hair alone. But we plan our life. We plan our life around things that we can and can't do based off of what she's going to have to wash, why she would have to wash her hair. So like, we, I love fires. Like, I love just setting stuff on fire. I like bonfires. I like burning brush. I, I set a house on it. It's fun. I, lo I love fire. But we don't burn stuff a lot because she has to wash her hair if we burn stuff. But I like her hair better than fire. But can you imagine the moment that this woman has where she is... And y'all know perfume and stink don't go good together. Right? It's like you can smell bad. If you put perfume on it, it just makes it worse. It doesn't help. Some young kids, when I was in youth ministry, they had to learn that. Because they would just spray cologne over stink. And it's like, nope, it makes it worse. Let's talk about hygiene. May the Lord bless you. But when you think about this woman, and she's putting the perfume on his feet, and she's washing it with her tears, and then she, like, she spent a year preparing to be here. In this moment, everything about her is present in the situation and then she's going to take it away with her when she leaves. Like the act of worship in this moment is so intimate and awkward and nobody understands what's going on because this didn't make sense and people just didn't do this. This was not like written in the law of Moses that this is what you should do if you really want to worship God. But it was very much what she was called to do. And I just want to challenge you guys today. When you talk about, okay... When you talk about truly repenting and serving Christ and living for Him and seeking out forgiveness and following God, how awkward has it been for you in your relationship with Christ? 
because this woman put it all out there to worship Christ because she did what she was called to do and yet no one else understood it. And you know this because there's times where we sit here in church and we feel God pressing on our hearts and calling us and convicting us of things and we know that we should get up and go to the altar. We know that we should be praying. We know that we should be seeking people out, but it's awkward. And what would people think? Man, if I get up and go to that altar, people's going to think my life is ruined, like I got stuff going on. Like what, They're just going to be like, what's going on with them? Why are they doing that? And in reality, somebody who really loves Christ, who sees someone go to the altar, is rejoicing at that. It's not like, oh, I wonder what they did to have to go down to the altar today. Like as a young person, that's what you think, that that's what people are going to think. But for somebody who truly loves Christ, they're not thinking about, oh, I wonder what they did. It's like, oh, man, that's great. God is doing something amazing in their life. So much about worshiping God and doing what he's called us to do is super awkward. I tell people all the time, like, nothing about serving God is going to be easy. If you think it's going to be easy, you signed up for the wrong thing. Because the opportunities that you have to help people is never going to be convenient when you actually have the time or the energy to do it. It's always going to present itself at the worst possible time ever for you to help somebody and do something you feel like God's called you to do. It's going to be awkward. You're never going to be able to sit down and have that easy conversation. You're never going to be able to sit down and it just like flow naturally or just happen. Or so. Sometimes God ordains it where it happens like that, but most of the time it's awkward. In this moment... One of the reasons why you can really tell this moment is like just pure, and it's from the heart, and it's what she felt led to do, is because no one else got it. The disciples didn't get it. The religious leaders didn't get it. Everyone said, oh, think about what could have been done with that money. Think about who could have been helped. Think about like if he knew who was touching him and what she did, he's not who he says he is because he should know, and no one else got it, but she didn't do it for anyone else. She did it because she felt led to. She did it because she was convicted. God was pressing that on her heart to offer that act of worship. That's what she was called to do. And guys, I want to tell you this morning, there are things in your life that Christ is calling you to do, and you're absolutely terrified, and you cringe at the thought of maybe what God is calling you to do or what you should or shouldn't be doing because you think, oh my gosh, it's going to be so awkward. How do I explain that to people? What are people going to say? What are they going to do? And I'm telling you, it ain't yours to explain. They don't have to understand. No one understood And we still read about this woman today. We're studying her act of worship today because it's important for us to know and to realize that what we feel led to do in our hearts in order to worship Christ, it does not matter what other people think. It does not matter whether or not other people get it. You are called to do what Christ is calling you to do. Worship him. Be extravagant. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and do something that Christ is calling you to do because other people won't matter. You're going to stand before Christ one day and you're going to give an account for how much you loved him and how much you poured out yourself for him. And no one else got it. No one else knew. Point number three, Jesus knows. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And it's such, it's such, it's kind of comedic a little bit. Because in this moment, 
the Pharisee thought to himself, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. So in this moment, everyone else is witnessing what's going on, and they're like, well, Jesus don't know, and this woman don't know that she's supposed to be here, and they think that Jesus is the one who's lost, and he doesn't see, and he doesn't have an idea what's going on, when in fact, it was the religious leader, Simon himself, who had no idea what was going on. He didn't see it. He didn't get it. You know, Jesus said in one of the Gospels, he said, how sad it is for those who are blind but who actually think they can see. Because if you are blind and you think that you can see, you don't realize that you're blind. And you can't do anything to fix it. And that's where this religious leader was. He actually is sitting here in this moment. He's looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's critiquing him. God's one and only Son. The one from whom he would receive forgiveness if he wanted it. And he's critiquing him. And he doesn't see it. And in this moment, Jesus is the only one that knew. And not only does Jesus know what this woman's doing, why she's doing it, the purpose in which she's doing it, but he also knows exactly what Simon is thinking. This is a great part of Scripture. Sometimes you just miss this. The fact that Simon said to himself, he did not say this out loud, he said it to himself. If he knew, Jesus says, Simon, I got something to say to you, and he responds to his thought. Jesus knows. And something you need to remind yourself of this morning as we study this passage is, is that in your life, Jesus knows. There's something maybe you're going, that's going on in your life, something you're going through, situations, circumstances, whatever it may be. And you might be sitting there thinking, God, do you even know what's going on? Can you see this? When are you going to do something about this? If this doesn't change, like, God, I don't know what to do. And some of us need to just take a breath and breathe and remind ourselves that he knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And Jesus not only knows what was, he not only knows what is, but he knows what is to come. And for every single one of us in this room, when we start questioning God and we start questioning Christ and how these things are going to play out and whether or not he's going to move and work in our life, you need to remind yourself, you probably don't even understand the whole situation that is, much less everything that's going to come, but Jesus knows. Have faith in him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Don't fall into the same trap that the religious leaders did by thinking that they were the ones who knew what was going on, when in fact they were the ones who were actually blind and could not see. Point number four. Forgiveness brings about love. You know, parables are so fascinating. And in the story, Jesus gives this parable, and parables reveal so much. And it's amazing, and it's, and it's really, they're kind of cruel in a lot of ways, because when Jesus tells these parables, he's usually doing it, and they usually represent the people who are present in the moment that he's telling them to say, hey, you're an idiot, without saying, hey, you're an idiot. Right? I mean, there, there's, there's three people focused on in the story. You got Jesus, you got Simon, and then you have the simple woman. Well, how many people are in the parable? I'm still holding it up. How many? Hey, we got one back there in count. Thanks, young man. All right. Three. Who's Jesus? 
Who represents Christ? The creditor, the lender. And that, that, that translates across the board completely. I mean, like everything that we have, the time that we have on this earth, monetary things, family members, children, whatever it may be, everything that we have is on loan from God. He is the lender. That makes perfect sense. Who's the one that owes 500? The woman, the sinful woman. All right, she messed up a lot. She wasn't doing what she should be doing. Who's the one that owes 50? Simon, the religious leader. He doesn't owe 500, but he still owes. That's what you got to remember. He still owes. And during this time, someone who owed money who could not pay it, guess what would happen? Either they or their children or somebody would be sold off into slavery or be indentured out into servanthood until they paid for that debt. So it doesn't matter whether you owe 500 or you owe 50, you're still in debt, you still owe. But there is this concept and this understanding that the one who owes the most is the one who would be the most grateful because, I mean, it's, it's such an enormous debt. I mean, think about this. Somebody ever do something in your life or give you something that was like, it just, it changed your life. And they didn't ask for payment. They didn't ask you to pay them back. But for some reason, there's something in you that just feels like you'll always owe them. You know anything like that? Situation like that? You just know like there's something in you because it's the right thing. You'll always owe them. You always want to be able to somehow pay that back even though it was like this unpayable amount. Any of you ever had somebody let you borrow a dollar? We don't really, I don't know, I guess as an adult, you know, things change a little bit. When we were in school, it was just like, hey, let me borrow a dollar. Let me borrow a dollar so we can get a drink. We can get a piece of candy out of the machines at school or something. And it was constantly like you were just borrowing from each other. Hey, man, I let you borrow a dollar yesterday. Let me borrow a dollar today. And I just went on. And yet at the same time, where there's still like a little bit of, you know, like, oh, you owe somebody. It's not like you chased somebody down from 20 years ago, let you borrow a dollar and said, I've been thinking about this debt for my whole life. I just want to make sure you get this dollar back. That doesn't happen. But the parable is beautiful because it reveals the fact that, that Simon is the one who does not understand what's going on. That even though he owes and he's just as, as lawful to pay back as what the 500 was, the, the simple woman, the understanding in our life of the debt that we owe is different. You know, I, we pray every night that our kids would receive Christ at a young age so that they would be spared the consequences of sin. That's a good prayer. I mean, like when you actually look at life and you look at people who have lived some really sinful lives, there's a lot of really hard consequences that come with that sin. And it has a drastic impact on your life, on your family, on everything. And so I hope my kids, like, you know, I hope whenever they're adults and they're old and they're getting ready to die, that they are, you know, that they're like, owe the 50, okay? You know what I'm saying? I hope they're not in debt for 500. I hope they owe the 50. But the understanding here this morning 
that Simon just did not get is that whether you owe 50 or you owe 500, you're still in debt. But the people who are appreciative of it are the ones who've been forgiven the most. And that's, that's very common to see. Like, you know, you, you people laugh about it. Some of, the, some of the pastors that I know were some of the biggest sinners before they got saved. There's, a, there's more of a feeling in their life that they have to give something more because of all the stuff that they've been involved in beforehand. They've got to give something more themselves. Guys, if you're sitting here today and you feel like you've lived your whole life for the Lord and you haven't really done a whole lot, you haven't really sinned a whole lot, be careful. Do not neglect the fact that you still owe your life to Christ. He bought and paid for you. He paid a high price so that you could be forgiven of that sin. And if it was just one sin, one lie, one time you dishonored your mother and father, one sin, the punishment was death just like the fight. Like the sinful woman. We still owe. Forgiveness brings about love. And so I want to ask you this morning. How much love have you showed Christ? How extravagant has your worship and love been for him? Because we're called to love him. We're called to give him everything. Point number five. The righteous can get too comfortable with God. You know, as Simon invites Jesus into his home, he's a guest. And Jesus looks at this woman and he begins naming all these things that she did for him that Simon neglected to do. And during this time, it was very common that as a guest came into the home, that uh, their feet were washed. Typically, they would have their servant get down and wash their guest's feet. A lot of times, like even like if you didn't have a servant or a slave to do that for someone, you would wash someone's feet or at least make it available for them to be able to wash their feet. That was very common. It was what was supposed to be done. And not only that, but whenever they come in, they were greeted with a kiss. You remember the woman just kept kissing Jesus' feet. And Simon neglected to give Jesus his kiss, his greetings of welcome, that he's welcome into his home. And then whenever a guest would come in, they would also anoint their heads with oil. And it was a sign of respect that they would anoint their heads with oil. Just very common things that was done to someone that you actually wanted into your home. And so you kind of get the idea of what's happening here between Simon and Jesus, that he wants Jesus in his home but the motive is very different from the woman wanting to be present with Jesus. The woman wants to be in Jesus' presence so she can worship. Simon wants, to be in, wants Jesus to be present with him to test him to see whether or not, okay, are you the Messiah? Let, let's go through this. Let's see. Let, let's, let's see who you really are. Because he doesn't believe, well, if he's a prophet, he would know who this woman is and she, he would not let her touch him. He had gotten comfortable in his effort to be holy and righteous and to obey the law of Moses and to do all the right things. He felt like he was the one who would sit there and pass judgment on Christ being in his home and was very much doing that in the moment while the act of worship was taking place. 
And guys, we said this last week. The longer we're saved, the more prone we are to become like the religious leaders. The more you live for Christ and the more you, you try to, to live for Him and abstain from sin and you really try to grow in that relationship, you inevitably become more like the religious leaders. You, it gets harder to understand and identify and really just have mercy on people who haven't made that decision and come along with you in that process and you lose touch of that. And I want to challenge you this morning not to get too comfortable with God. You know, this woman, she had the right attitude. Not because she was a sinner, but just because she was willing to do what God was calling her to do. What she felt compelled to do by the Spirit. She was willing to do that. And Simon was all about this, 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 this. Are you the one? And he felt comfortable enough to pass judgment on Christ rather than have faith in him to forgive him of his sins. There's a big difference between those two. So if you're sitting here this morning, you've been saved for a long time, you grew up in the church or whatever, guys, I just want to challenge you, be really careful not to get too comfortable with God. Always be willing to just be humble and say, God, speak to me, change me. Even David wrote it in the Psalms, reveal to me if there's sin in my heart that I don't know about, reveal it to me so I can repent of it. What a different attitude that you had someone who actually said, I want to make sure that there's nothing in me. So if there's sin that I don't even know about, reveal it to me so I can repent of it. What a different attitude. So how comfortable have you been? Point number six, last one. Jesus has the power to forgive. Only Christ has the power to forgive. A lot of times we don't think about that or maybe we take it for granted. But one of the most common struggles that you see the religious leaders having in Scripture is whether or not they believe that Jesus has the power to forgive. And this is like a tug-of-war battle that goes on all throughout the Gospels. And you see this even in the story of the paralyzed man who's, who's lowered into the house. Now think about this. You talk about awkward moments of worship, awkward moments of, of you know, repenting and, and receiving something from Christ. Imagine how upset you would be if someone tore the roof open today and lowered someone down and interrupted the worship service. How inappropriate that would be. Right? Like we would just be devastated, especially after we just finished this dang thing. We'd be so mad. But it's awkward. And as the, the paralyzed man is lowered into the room, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people are standing around and they're just testing out whether or not they're going to affirm Jesus being the Messiah. Said, who does this man think he is that he has the power to forgive sin? And they don't say it out loud, but they're thinking it. Sound familiar? All right. Just like this woman, he says, go, your sins are forgiven. Who does this man think he is that he has the power to forgive sin? But he looks at everybody in that home that day and he says, which one is harder? To say that your sins are forgiven or to tell this man to get up and walk? But to prove to you that I have the authority to do both, get up and walk. And the man picks up his mat and walks out of the house. And Jesus reveals that he does 
not only have the power to heal, but he has the authority to forgive sin. And in this moment, as this woman is worshiping him, true forgiveness, true righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing in your life that you can do to get it. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to work for it. The whole attitude of us coming in here today and praying from the very beginning, Holy Spirit, come in me and shape me and mold me and change me and convict me in the humbleness to allow Christ to come in and do the work in you is what makes us righteous. Having faith in him that he's the only one that has the power to do it. So have you come to Christ for the forgiveness? You know, if you're here today and you consider yourself a good Christian, maybe righteous, like you've been living for Christ for a long time, be careful. Tread lightly. Don't get too comfortable with God. Never let yourself get closed off to thinking that you've got it figured out. You never know. You might actually end up being the one looking at Jesus, trying to judge him rather than allowing him to judge you. If you're sitting in here today and you say, man, you don't, you don't know me, you don't know my life, you don't know what I've done. There's, man, I'm just, I'm too simple. You're right, you are. We all are. And it doesn't matter. Like I said, if you've committed one sin or if you've committed a million sins or if you lied to your parents or you killed someone and buried them out in the woods, we're all sinners and we all deserve death, eternal hell. That's the message of the gospel. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can free us of that. He's the only one who can forgive us. And it's important to understand today that we serve a God who loves us extravagantly. Like he has poured out his love on us to cover up a multitude of sins, to, to overcome anything that we can do in our life, anything that we're addicted to, anything that we've done in the past. He can forgive it. He can wipe it clean and to never think of it again. That's good news. And so for you sitting here this morning and thinking, okay, when's the last time I actually like did something awkward to show how much I loved Christ? Right, ladies? I mean, like, isn't that, isn't that the name of the game? Like, you, like, there's something in you that you want your man to like show how much he loves you and do it in extravagant ways. And like the whole, the whole concept of, of us loving God is, is similar. Like this idea of this woman doing this, it's so cringeworthy. And you think, man, I would hate to like have to do it. I would hate for everybody to be watching me. I would hate to stick out like the sore thumb in the middle of that party. But it was beautiful. It was exactly what God had called that woman to do. And God might be calling you to do something cringeworthy, doing something to show his love, your love for him extravagantly. And if he is, do it. It doesn't matter whether or not everyone else understands or everyone else gets it. We're called to do what Christ is calling us to do. And we'll throw in a disclaimer. I think disclaimers are good. We say it all the time. The majority of your spiritual growth is going to happen in the everyday, mundane, ho-hum aspects of life. And so when you're talking about worshiping God, we're not sitting here this morning. I'm not promoting that this should be like, oh, we should just like do the crazy things all the time. And this is how we grow Christ. Like, nope, that's not what I'm saying. 
We are called to serve God in the consistent, everyday, normal aspect, boring things of life. Pastor Timmy and I sat in on two classes at Southern Wesleyan this week, and we just had to share some things with those ministry students. And we said the same thing to them that we say that we say to you: do the little things, do the little things. Read God's word, pray, fellowship with other believers. Those are the things where you're going to see most of your growth. But do not come in this morning and think that that's all that there is to it. There will be a time where Christ calls you to get out of your comfort zone, to get off your seat to step out, to do, to go do something that does not make a bit of sense to anyone else in this world, and that's okay. Be faithful in what he's calling you to do. If he calls you to go to the altar, go to the altar. If he calls you to give, give. If he calls you to go to China, go to China. Whatever he's calling you to do, you do it. You have to give an account for it, whether or not you do what he's calling you to do. Do what he calls you to do. Be extravagant. Worship him in ways that might make other people cringe. But do it in the everyday, ordinary, boring too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your love and your mercy and the story of this woman who just totally demolished this dinner. God, I pray that you would help us to have the same attitude of her. Lord, we are all sinners. We all are in debt. We've been forgiven of so much. Help us to love you extravagantly in whatever ways that you call us to. But Lord, also help us to do it in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the mundane. Help us to be faithful to you. We love you today, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.